0: Bergoglio. 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 Bergoglio.
1: It's Bergoglio. Bergoglio. Oh, you don't say the second G? No.
0: No. All right. Just trying to stay on brand, guys. (sighs) Hello, and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast from the poetically young, prosaically hip, and imperfectly lay editors of American Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Olga Segura. Hey guys, and Zach Davis. Hello, everyone. Hello. How are you guys doing? Pretty good.
1: Good, and I'm very excited to share this episode with our listeners.
0: Yeah, me too.
1: It was so you're about to hear a our live show with Mary Carr, mm-hmm. New York Times uh, best-selling memoirist, poet, and all around just like amazing person. Um, she. Had a lot of uh, incredible things to say uh, about her own conversion to Catholicism, um, coming uh, in the midst of depression and alcoholism. Uh, it, it, it was a really vulnerable conversation that yeah. I'm really pumped about. No,
0: and it, and it was a great event. Um, we had I think like over. 70 people here at our office in new york um, a couple
1: weeks ago it was really yeah. Yeah.
0: and unfortunately olga was sick, i was not there so but you
2: guys did there. a really great job it really is a fantastic interview you guys are really gonna love it
0: yeah um and we also had an an fantastic sponsor for the event. Um, The event and this show that we're recording now is sponsored by Catholic Travel Center. Um, They are a proud partner with America Media for four years, hosting their pilgrimages to Italy, Spain, and the Holy Land. Catholic Travel Center is the customized pilgrimage specialist serving the Catholic community for more than 25 years. To organize your organization's next pilgrimage, contact Catholic Travel Center at gocatholictravel.com.
1: And you guys have been on a couple of these yeah. events, Yeah, I went right? to the
0: Holy Land earlier this year with
2: them, and it was fantastic. Like, Scott is wonderful. The entire team just really takes care of all the pilgrims. And,
0: and you've been to Spain yeah, and I Rome, right, Yeah, have been to Spain Asher? and Rome, and it is a fantastic experience. They really do make it all run very smoothly, which mm-hmm. is important when you've got between 30 and 100 right. pilgrims <laughs> to watch out for. So check them out at gocatholictravel.com. And what's on tap, Zach?
1: So, we also had a sponsor of beer for this event. So, we are drinking uh, beer provided by the Harlem Brewing Company, a local NYC brewery that's got more than 17 years of experience brewing craft brews in the New York area. And so, we are all drinking Sugar Hill Golden Ale, which is really great. So, thank yeah. you. Thank you to them. And my favorite that's my favorite kind of beer yes. is sponsored beer.
0: <laughs> yes. Thank you, Harlem Brewing Company.
1: So, you can find more of their beer at your local retailer or you can order online at www harlembrewing.com
0: wow
2: you guys so I get sick for one week and you guys get all official on me we've yeah, got sponsors I, we got, now
1: <laughs> we got podcast sponsors now so <laughs> wow. uh, we hope you're and as F's excited legit. about these sponsors <laughs> as we are they make this show possible along with you guys so go check them out yes for
0: sure and now it's time for Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. What's our first story, Zach?
1: So our first story comes from the NBA playoffs, which Very is th- among the best times of the year. I agreed, would say. agreed.
2: I I agree. I love the NBA playoffs. I'm more excited about the playoffs than I am about March Madness. I'd never get into March Madness, Uh, but I love the playoffs.
1: And so I think you're wondering how could Zach bring a story from the NBA playoffs? Well, yes, I am. (laughs) So (laughs) last night the Philadelphia 76ers closed out their first round series against Miami Heat Mm -hmm. four to one. Probably, I'm going to say probably, maybe, definitely because their star player, Joel, the first Noel Embiid. went to Mass at a local parish uh, this past Sunday. He surprised Mass goers at St. Kevin's Parish at their 5.30 Mass. Reports say that people didn't even notice that a local superstar was coming down the... Until uh, Joel Embiid came down the communion line, there was a kids' section, and you saw all the kids' heads (laughs) turn. And went, Oh! Um, So...
0: Okay, first of all, I've never heard of a St. Kevin's. Second of all... Zach, you give me so much crap for talking about like random Catholics doing nothing <laughs> special. And, and making now it you a bring this.
1: Well, uh, one, it was the Olympics. No one cares about the Olympics <laughs> that I'm certain of. You know, I mean, I don't I can't even remember who we were talking about back then. The NBA, legitimate, the best sport. Um, and but this I, I also brought this because I did want to ask, uh, what do you think it's like for famous people to go to mass?
0: Hmm. Probably like going to a restaurant.
1: <laughs> yeah, but like, you, you,
0: you, or maybe you, not, because like, the demographic is probably a group. You know, given your the average age of someone at a Catholic mass, there's a good chance they might not recognize Lady Gaga or Stephen Colbert sitting true. in the pew next to true. them. Yeah, <laughs> and maybe they maybe celebrities
2: go to like a specific parish that they know all other celebrities go to, right? Because there's no way someone like Joel Embiid, he's seven feet tall. Like, (laughs) he's gonna get recognized, you know?
1: But, I mean, he he did this thing where he just sort of sat in the the back. And it sounds like he was gracious and he, like, uh, met all the kids and shook hands and uh, his faith community propelled him on to victory. Though he's going to have to lose to the Cavs when they eventually meet. Okay,
2: moving on. Next story, Ashley. (laughs) Um,
0: Monday was the Feast of Uh, St. George, also known as San Jorge, the namesake of Pope Francis, before he was Pope Francis, when he was Jorge Bergoglio. um, And he celebrated by giving 3,000 servings of gelato away to uh, Rome's neediest residents. Wow. So, you know. Only, only bring it if you have enough to share. It's the best
1: way to celebrate your. your it's not his birthday, but his, yeah. his name day. Yeah. I wish we right, did right. that more here.
2: Agreed. Yeah, name are there days any and birthdays. Safe Zacks?
1: Yes, there are. Okay. Thank you very much.
2: Also, Francis is known for this, right? He's done like the laundromat service, the showers. Mm-hmm.
1: So happy feast, happy feast day. day? Do, you, do, this... do you do you say happy feast day? Yeah, Pope Francis. Yeah. Happy feast. Happy name day. Happy feast name day.
0: <laughs> happy San Jorge day. Olga, what's next?
2: So some more news coming out of the Vatican. They've recently become a safe haven for endangered fruits and trees. They added a small orchard to its garden um, and the Italian Tree Conservation Association, known as Petriarchi della Natura. They are the ones who made this donation. And it's a whole part of this initiative to preserve plants and fruits that are endangered. So this is very much in line with
0: Pope Francis's mentality. We know he did Laudato Si. Yeah. no, And they've got fig trees and plum trees and pomegranate trees. So a lot healthier than gelato. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, and one of them is a St. John Pear Tree and a St. John Plum Tree, which is it's kind of fun because both are named that because the fruit ripens uh, around June twenty fourth, which is the feast of St. John the Baptist. Yeah. Um, and so the Laudato Si, the Green Pope, uh, comes back again with uh, some fruit sapling trees in his garden.
0: I thought you were going to do a pun there, and I'm kind of disappointed. I was, I was waiting for
1: it. So you may find this surprising, but sometimes I start sentences in hopes that a pun will come to me in the middle of it. And then one not. nothing happens, uh. you get weird endings like that. From <laughs> All right. So next story.
0: Pope Francis has made a historic decision appointing three women, uh, two Italians and one Belgian, as consultants to the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. Um, so this is one of the, if not the most, uh, powerful, uh, congregation at the Vatican. They're the ones who, you know, it's decide. The it's right. the oldest, it's goes back to the inquisition when the Catholic church had mm-hmm. to decide who was a heretic and who wasn't. So mm-hmm. they're still doing that. Right. <laughs> um, and this is pretty historic,
2: right? Cause this is the first time. Yeah. No.
0: So Pope Francis had appointed women to, um, another congregation, um, the one for lady, uh, but. This is seen as kind of a bigger deal because these are theologians who do. They are going to have input as to like what can be said um, under the label Catholic, which is important.
1: And it's it's also the first time any lay person has been appointed uh, as a consultant to this group. So it seems like. A, but the question, I guess, is: Are our consultors are they heard in general mm-hmm. for Vatican? Con- uh, yeah, it's it's unclear
0: from what we have read just how much say they will have. I mean, obviously they cannot overrule the decision of the Cardinal who heads the CDF, but this is in line with Pope Francis's um, goal to bring more women into positions of authority at all levels at the church, but especially at the Vatican where, you know, it's within his power to to appoint women. There's nothing in canon law um, or tradition or doctrine that prevents him from doing this. Um, so, you know, We'll see whether it's more symbolic or substantive, but it's, I mean, a step in the right direction, I would say.
1: And I know a way he could get a point to more women to congregations is if when they start the congregation for podcasting, <laughs> I'm making a I'm making a play for Jesuitical to serve as official cool. consultants.
2: I like that.
0: I like that a lot.
1: Yes. What's next,
2: Olga? So now moving on to the Philippines, Patricia Fox is a sister who has been arrested and detained. Authorities claim that she has allegedly engaged in illegal political activities. She's been working in rural communities in the Philippines for 27 years, and she's been accused of being an undesirable, quote unquote, undesirable alien for joining protest rallies and visiting political prisoners. And Sister Fox has said, Hey, this is what sisters do. We go out to marginalized communities and we help these people like we can't just stay away from this. Um,
1: Yeah. Illegal political activities, also known as helping the poor. Right. Right. And the prosecutor in charge found no probable cause for the arrest. But the immigration officials are still insisting upon her deportation. So solidarity with Sister Mm -hmm. Patricia.
0: Yeah. And we have another story about uh, Catholic people being persecuted, right? Yeah,
1: our last story is, uh, we're bringing a story from Mexico, something we wanted to highlight. Uh, The murder of two more priests in Mexico in the last week are raising questions over why so many church leaders are being uh, killed in Mexico, which is such a devout Catholic country. Um, The Reverend Juan Miguel Contreras Garcia became the 23rd church leader uh, killed in a string of violent attacks since 2012. Um, And the fourth priest murdered in Mexico This year, Um, he was shot down uh, last Friday night as he was listening to confessions. Mm. Um, And
0: do they do they have uh, any idea about why there's this spike in violence against Catholics specifically?
1: So there are some uh, experts who are noting that Catholics are being more outspoken in government opposition um, and Mm. also they're being way more outspoken um, in the drug trade. Um, which uh, in some parts of Mexico has a very stronghold in the area. And so a lot of times it's seen as intimidation killings or retaliation killings for speaking out against these things. And it
0: harkens back to last week when we talked about the canonization of Oscar Romero, who similarly spoke out against the civil war in his country and was killed while saying mass. So we unfortunately have more martyrs maybe um, in Mexico, but we'll be... Praying for them and, and for the flock
1: there. Yeah. Amen.
0: So this episode is a little bit weird. We did our consolations and desolations with Mary Carr at the live event. So um, Olga is not going to have one this week. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure Correct. she has one saved for next week. Of course. Um, and we're also saving our listener feedback um, for... for Next week. So if you joined us on Patreon, you'll be getting your special shout out next week, not this week.
1: Wait, are you saving consolations and desolations? I have like, yeah. <laughs> Do you not have some? Just... No, it's supposed to happen in your week. I, I don't no. know. What you're the, like last seven days.
0: <laughs> I, you're being some, pretty some, Jesuitical. Yeah, about and sometimes that.
1: something
2: can happen in one week and extend to the following week yeah. if you're still thinking about that it.
1: That is Jesuitical. That's
2: a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very Jesuitical of me. Stretch. Watch me stretch. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, This week, we are talking to Mary Carr, an award-winning poet and New York Times best-selling author. Her poems have been published in The New Yorker, The Atlantic, and The Paris Review, among many other places. Her trilogy of memoirs, The Liar's Club, Cherry, and Lit, chronicle her traumatic childhood in Southeast Texas, her turbulent coming of age as a woman and poet, her marriage and motherhood, alcoholism and recovery, and conversion to the Catholic faith. Today, she teaches literature at Syracuse University, and her latest collection of poems is Tropic of Squalor, uh, and it's out this May. Welcome to Judge Jesuitical, Mary.
3: Thank you guys so much <laughs> yeah. for having me. Thank you. Woo.
1: I thought we could maybe start with uh, a reading of poetry. That seems natural. Oh, yes. Yeah,
3: people hate that. Love that. <laughs> Get them in a room and read to them when they can't leave. <laughs> Uh, This this is from a long poem in sections called The Less Than Holy Bible, Um, and it's the voice of God. In case you wonder what God sounds like, I'm here to tell you. (laughs) The voice of God. Ninety percent of what's wrong with you could be cured with a hot bath, says God through the manhole covers. But you want magic to win the lottery you never bought a ticket for. Tenderly, the monks chant. Embrace the suffering. The voice never panders, offers no five-year plan, no long-term solution, no edicts from a cloudy, white beard hooked over ears. It is small and fond and local. Don't look for your initials in the geese honking overhead or to see through the glass, even darkly. It says the most obvious stuff. Put down that gun you need a sandwich.
0: <laughs> so this this really resonated with the host of Jesuitical because often when Zach gets hangry,
1: <laughs> we say I fall on a spiral of desolation if I haven't, and if he I just needs to a sa-
0: he just needs a sandwich.
1: Yeah, so but. it is a good reminder. <laughs> this is a good segue into our first question. Um, so you were. Uh, Brought to Prayer, which you chronicle in your memoirs, because you tried everything else to stop drinking.
3: I couldn't stop drinking. If I could have kept drinking, I would have kept drinking. I loved drinking. I was excellent at it, I thought. <laughs> and, and for a long time, it really worked for me. I could out drink my big six foot five inch Harvard hockey playing husband. <laughs> and then I somehow crossed over to the dark side and... Uh, and I just liked it better than everything else I could think up to do. It, it, that's the terrible thing about alcohol or any drug is that it really works. Like, it works. You feel a little crummy, you have a drink, you feel better. And then, like, it, but it didn't keep going that way. So, yeah. And what and
0: what brought you to prayer?
3: Um, somebody suggested to me when I couldn't quit drinking after I'd driven into something that had more molecular density than I do Um And I had a baby, so you can't be driving around drunk. You just, it's like you're the bad mom in the after-school special. So this person said to me, um, I'd never been baptized. I'd never gone to any church. I'd never had a spiritual practice. I really, when I was a little girl, my parents didn't believe in God. I just thought it was horse hockey. I could not have believed less. you never met anybody more pure agnostic than I was. And... um, Somebody suggested to me, well, why don't you pray every day for 30 days and see if your life gets better? Get on your knees every day. And I was like, what kind of God wants me to get on my knees and grovel? And she said, you don't kneel for God, you fill in the blank. <laughs> and uh, and I, I said, well, then why do you... Kne- what is y'all... Y'all are... You know some kneeling individuals. Like, what do y'all put? Especially <laughs> Catholics. It's yeah. Like, yeah. What are y'all into? Like, I don't get it. You know, I'm short enough. And she said, um, she said, uh, you do it to remind yourself all the stuff that you don't have any control over. And I just went like, oh. But I I prayed every day for thirty days, and initially I prayed, making obscene gestures at the sky and the light fixture um those count as prayers i think no i think they do and i later met a jesuit who said you know they definitely do they (laughs) definitely definitely and uh, and i started to feel something something started to happen and when you were
0: doing those first prayers besides the obscene gestures what what were you saying
3: initially it was like a dance move where I would get on my knees and I would say in the morning and I would go, I would literally throw my slippers under the bed to remember to get on my knees in the morning. I would get out of bed. I would reach under the bed and then I'd I'd be down there anyway. And I'd go, dear God, I don't believe in, you know, help me stay sober today. And then at night I'd go, dear God, I don't believe in, thanks for keeping me sober. That's literally, it was that long.
0: Was there a moment when it changed from being kind of faking it until you make it. And- <laughs> I
3: yeah, I got I got de- really desperate because I really wanted to drink and everybody else was drinking and all of a sudden it looked so bright and shiny and sparkly and and uh, and then my the young woman uh who was a Harvard social theorist and kind of a smarty pants who was telling me to do this said um what what do you pr-? and I told her how I was praying she's like is that all you ask for? I said well what do you pray for? She said I pray for a joyous day filled with serenity. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) you can ask for that. Yeah, that's what I said. It's (laughs) in my sentence exactly. You can ask for that. (laughs) And, uh, and she said, well, what do you really want? And I said, money. I said, I made $9,000 this year teaching in the academic ghetto around Boston. I need to make, generate more income. She said, well, uh, why don't you pray for money? So I, so I did. So I got on my knees, I would say, dear God, I don't believe in, um, keep me sober today, plus I'd like some money. (laughs) (laughs) And three weeks after I started doing this, somebody I'd never met called me about something I'd never applied for and gave me $35,000. Hey. Now, I've been asking that same question for many, many, for almost 30 years. Never has that happened to me again. So this isn't a formula. Yeah. Uh,
0: That sounds like a lot more than the sandwich you asked for at the
3: end of that prayer. <laughs> no, if I thought y'all would get money, I'd tell you to ask for money, too. <laughs> no, I mean, at, no, but it was great because the woman who was telling me to do it said, well, you must believe in God because this guy you never heard of called you and gave you $35,000. So I said, no, because they would have nominated me for this like before I started praying. and And she said, well, okay, what percentage possibility is it that your prayer, your blind hope out into the universe, tugged some judge's heart and thought, poor little Mary, (laughs) God bless her, down there on her knees in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Let's just throw $35,000 at her. And um, she said, what percentage possibility is that? I said, "Um, one half of 1% is that possible. She said, okay, there's a chance. So there's a chance that prayer changes things. Yeah. And you did, you've you've done, we're a, a
0: Jesuit uh, heavy crowd here. You you did the spiritual exercises, I right? I did the
3: spiritual exercises of St. Ign- Ignatius with Father Joe Neville and, and Sister Maurice May mm. at the Spiritual Renewal Center in uh, Syracuse, New York. And I do I do the exam and pretty much, I try to do it every day, which means I probably do it three times a week.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. Beats
3: me. <laughs> also, yeah, I I do centering prayer every day, but I probably do the exam in three times a week. And yeah. uh, and
0: what what did you find in the Ignatian tradition that worked for you?
3: Um, I didn't get Jesus. I I um. I noticed my son. The way I even wound up in church. My my son, who was then about eight, said he wanted to go to church, and I said, "Why?" Like that? Why? And he said. Um, to see if God's there, hmm. and it was literally like the only sentence he could have said that would have gotten me on a Sunday morning to put my paper aside, get up and get my britches on, and and uh, we went to all these different churches. We called it Godorama, where we just Godorama, <laughs> we just visit anybody, we, any friend we had who went to some place, we would go with, and then um, I found this little. Uh, Catholic parish. And if you had told me I was going to, uh, I mean, in my book, I say if you told me I was going to be a Catholic, I'd say I had a better chance of being a, you know, stripper or a drug mule. Um, <laughs> it was a li- it was embarrassing to become Catholic. Uh, is that—is that,
0: is that because, of, because of your upbringing, because of the poet community you're well, I mean, in? You
3: think you're going to be in some kind of like hippie kind of religion mm-hmm. right like you the unitarians or one of those yeah. you know yeah. <laughs> today's gospels from glamour magazine <laughs> um uh, and it wasn't the ritual that got me everybody said oh it's the ritual it's the ritual that kind of bored me i kind of like that more now but it was um it was really the simple faith of the people it was it was people saying their intentions when people would call out in mass in this little church I went to, you know, pray for my son who's in the war. And you go, oh, my Lord. I would walk in. I would look at everybody and I would think, who are these people? I have nothing in common with these people. And I would have a cup of coffee, and I would sit in the back and grade papers. And, and then there's a woman saying, my son's in the war. And you look at her face, and your heart flies out of your chest at her and somebody saying, you know, i had a kid who just came out of surgery or you know, somebody j- lost their parent and to see all that hope and all that suffering stated so plainly. I mean, every time people said their intentions, i would just i would just i would stop creating papers and and weep. Once once you became a catholic, how did how did your peers respond. You cannot imagine the things people said to me. Richard Ford (laughs) sent me a postcard that the novelist said, not you on the Pope's team, Carr. (laughs) (laughs) Say it ain't so. Um, That was one of your hangups when you
0: joined, right, though? Like you didn't see the Pope as the ultimate authority?
3: What I said to the priest before I was baptized was, I said, Father Joe, well, first off, I lied to him before he baptized me. <laughs> good start. No, good start. It was great. It was, right, confession? it was right before Easter, and and the woman who was going to be my son's godmother was not Catholic, and he said, well, you you know, you have to be Catholic to take communion. I said, I, I know all that. And he's like, uh, so is Deb's godmother Catholic? And I went, yes. I just The lie just fell out of my face. <laughs> and then I get in my car, I'm like, damn it, damn it, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> and I, I go home, and I pick up the phone, and I say, Okay, I lied to you. He said hello, and I said, "Okay, I lied to you." I don't want to start my, I don't want to start my relationship with the Catholic Church this way. I feel really bad about it, and but I just want to say that I think I don't think Jesus would would have a dinner party and not let Deb Larson, who had a stroke and takes care of HIV positive babies and is head injured and can barely walk, I don't think somebody would look at her and say she can't have our bread. And uh, I said, "Do you feel that way?" He's like, "Well, I'm just a parish priest." And I, <laughs> I said, "You know what? Put that right back where you got it." I said, "You're the only. You're the face of the Catholic Church right now to I me. Mean, you're it. The all that you and all those people who I who I love, whom I love, and have come to love, and you're the person I have to talk to." And I just want to say, he and he said, "I'm sure the Holy Father prays about that a lot." <laughs> And I said, and that's another thing. <laughs> I, I don't think the Pope is the ultimate religious authority. And he paused and he said, maybe you will someday. <laughs> and Dare America, I ask? <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I would say I'm very devoted mm-hmm. to Pope Francis. Yeah, I would say. I'm well, very, that you
0: called and
3: admitted that you lied showed that Catholic guilt comes very e- easily that's to you. A natural. <laughs> I'm a natural. I'm an Well, no. What was the great thing was I went through this whole apology, and I said I lied, and I lied, and she's not Catholic, and then I go into this whole thing. He's like, "Okay, okay, who is this? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, it's okay. Who is this?" So, how do
1: you, uh, how do you deal with some of those tensions, like with this uh, authoritative church, which authoritative teachings, and has it been easier with people like this parish priest? In your life to sort of talk? He was
3: an amazing person because he was a very right wing guy who
1: preached. And you would consider yourself not.
3: No, I'm not. Okay. I'm not very right wing. But I mean, but he listened to Rush Limbaugh, this guy. And he had gay and lesbian masses. Uh, and uh, I asked him on his deathbed, I said, why did you do that? And he said, because they asked me. They came and asked if they could, could pay me to meet in our church. And I was <laughs> like, well, why don't you just? Why don't we have masses with you? would you like a mass for your organization and he they said yes and so he was an interesting guy because in some way he was not who you would expect. I think he was one of those people who took informed conscience very seriously because on the altar he offered my friend communion even though he and I wish I'd ask him before he died if he remembered she was. He was old. If he remembered she wasn't Catholic. Um, so what I tell people is what I tell them. I say, look, you know, I'm an American, and I don't love everything our country is doing. And uh, But it's a country that permits a lot of opinions. And, you know, I still consider I'm proud to be an American. I'm still, I vote, and I participate in the political process. And, and uh, I feel the same way about the Catholic Church.
1: You mentioned Pope Francis, who, uh, you know, in his first interview with the press, when they asked him, who is Jorge Bergoglio, he said, I am a sinner. Uh, And that was what you said. That was on the the sign outside the church you wandered into, right? Sinners welcome.
3: Well, that was another church. Father Joe retired and we got the priest with the toupee. And then I, and then, (laughs) and then I moved to the, I said, I said, this is not good for my spiritual life. I sit here wanting to snatch that toupee off his head every day. (laughs) And so I got involved with a church that when you walked in, they had hung a banner of the front of the church, like in a car park, like when they're having a big sale, you're 20% off of everything. (laughs) Uh, And it said, sinners welcome. And I just thought, boy, this is the place for me. Because I always thought you had to be holy to go to church, right? I mean, you read the... Gospels uh, G- I mean that was the other thing the Ignatian exercises did for me I wanted to get back to that was I noticed once I was a Catholic that the people who were always you know making jello and going to see people and building things and giving away the cribs and taking the pregnant girls in and doing all of that they were all they talked about Jesus 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 it's all they talked about and I literally said I literally said to Father Cain I don't get Jesus I don't get this my idea of hell. Is somebody ripping his shirt open and saying this? Look what I did for you. I don't. I don't like that thing. I don't like it. But I noticed that all the really cool people talked about Jesus all the time. The people I they seemed to me the people who are really into Jesus seemed two things. They seemed uh, loving and realistic. Like they weren't sort of drippy and soppy. Mm-hmm. You know, they were just like, oh yeah, you know, this happened. You know, uh, they accepted that people were sinning. I think, yeah. and uh, but they also practiced a lot of charity. And I was very interested in Dorothy Day and and um, tradition. I found for myself that working with the poor, working in a soup kitchen, trying to help people who lost their kids get their kids back, that um, working with young mothers trying to get sober, that that really for me was for the I felt Jesus most present in my life. I began to get this sense of Jesus from doing the exercises.
1: And you mentioned, you know, sinners welcome, that's good. These people who are doing all these things, helping you understand Jesus more, were understood that people were sinning. Uh, do you think enough Catholics think of themselves as sinners?
0: Or that people who aren't Catholics think of Catholics as sinners? Because I've read all of these like interviews with you and you're like described as like an unlikely Catholic. And then I'm like, if you think someone that like, curses and used to drink a lot is an unlikely Catholic.
3: That's right. That's you hap- haven't met enough Catholics. <laughs> haven't met enough priests. Yeah. Haven't met enough priest. um, yeah. I, I just, I'm not somebody who's, I'm not a joiner. I don't know how to tell you. I don't color in the lines. I don't even know how to. Um, but I think the thing that I that I found, even in very, like, what's the what's the parish, the Catholic Information Center down in D.C.? What's the name? Is it Opus Day?
1: Oh, yeah. Opus Day.
3: I went down there and gave a talk, and a friend of mine was a Dominican novice near there. And uh, he said, you know, I, I'll meet you. I'll come hear your talk. And I said, okay. And then I told him where I was talking. And he says, do they know who you are? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, uh, I don't know. Who are, who are they? <laughs> and he said, well, this is kind of a right-wing, you know, organization. I said, well, I, I didn't, I don't know my lecture agent booked this. They They invited me. I don't know. And he actually went to the bookstore and talked to the people there before I got there, saying to them, "Do you know who she is? Like, are you sure you understand?" <laughs> um, and it was funny because I got there early and I hadn't been to confession in a while. And I went to confession uh, and I got to do it the way, that, like in the Godfather, where you get on your knees in the little place and and you and it's all spooky and everything. <laughs> Um, and I told the guy I was a convert and kind of an idiot. And, um, and, and then I forgot my act of contrition. I could just see father Joe, you know, my, the priest who baptized me saying, you forgot your act of contrition. But I don't know. I, those people were very nice to me. I don't know how to explain. I, you know, I'm sure we differ in many ways, but I just, you know, we are the body of Christ. I mean, for all our dissent and disagreement we come together in hope right isn't that the radical dangerous they will know we are christians by our love well that's well
0: and so when you do something like that or when you when you write memoirs that i imagine were painful to write laying all of this out um but that people might relate to do you see that
3: as a a ministry or is do you do i see myself bringing people to christ you know it's funny i i guess i have gotten a lot of mail from people saying, you know, I never believed in God, I never went to church, and, you know, I'd begun to pray, or I had left the church and I didn't think I would be welcomed back, people who left, you know, long, long ago. And, and uh, my experience of Catholicism has been very loving. I have not had anybody wrap my knuckles with a ruler. Uh, that's not true. I did meet God. <laughs> I That's met a, a guy good. in the south of France who told me I was a, I was a, what did he say? I heretic? Get, <laughs> a heretic was the word he used. <laughs> I had given a talk on medit- prayer and meditation, and I suggested that as the Ignatian, you know, how else would God call to you except wouldn't, if you created the universe, wouldn't you call to people in prayer? Wouldn't you call to your people in their imaginations and in their desires and in their bodies? Uh, that all desire is not an evil thing, that it's also a leaning and something that's kind of hardwired in us, and wouldn't God speak to us that way? And afterwards, uh, he was a cardinal, this guy. He was a big uh, kahuna. And um, That is the Latin term, I believe. It's the <laughs> Latin term. <laughs> and afterwards, he said, uh, you know, I think you're a heretic and a Gnostic. Uh, he said this in front of a lot of people. I said, oh, a heretic, mm, probably. I said, if I were a gnostic, I would know something. <laughs> and I don't think, really, I know very much. I'm just, uh, I'm just kind of trying to be less of a jerk every day, and this is part of that struggle.
1: We have time for one more question, at least from Ashley and I. Uh, we ask, we ask all of our guests this: uh, if you could canonize one person, living or dead, Catholic or not, who would it be, and why?
3: Oh. That's really hard, you know. Right now, I'm I'm listening a lot to Thomas Burton, um, that old sinner, <laughs> and uh, uh, it'd be a toss-up between him and Dorothy Day, I guess. Uh, they're both American. They both kind of speak my language. I mean, Michael Jordan didn't play basketball anymore, so <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, that's such a cliche. Those are both such cliches. But why, why did, why
1: did, what language do they speak that's, that you share?
3: I mean, Merton, for uh, his humor and his knowledge of history and literature and his love of literature, and Dorothy, for her care for the poor. Um, there was a homeless guy outside my apartment this week who was, or a few weeks ago, screaming, murder or suicide? You know, murder or suicide, like just this, you know, voice crying in the wilderness. And I thought, that could be John the Baptist. (laughs) And I walked up to him and I said, "Uh, isn't there like a door number three? (laughs) 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 Some ways I'd like to to canonize him in a way. So Saints Thomas
1: Merton, Dorothy Day, and guy outside your apartment. Murder or suicide. Yeah. Uh, so, the next part of our show is going to be Consolations and Desolations. This is the part of our show, it's our attempted faith sharing. It's where we uh, share where we found God this week or where it's been difficult to find God. Uh, I'll start. I have a consolation. Uh, so, I have been meaning to call my mother for uh, like two weeks now. So, first thing I want to say is call your mom. Uh, the second thing was uh, I had been away for the weekend and I got back last night and there was a package waiting for me and my mom had sent me uh, this copy of your book with a little note that said, hoping you haven't read this one, wanted to give you a little time to read it before Wednesday. I'm sure it will be amazing. Love you, mom. Um, And so...
3: (laughs) And you haven't called her in two weeks?
1: Yep. Uh, So even, so this is the consolation is that, you know, even when I'm you know, being a terrible son, um, my, my mom is still like this Im, uh, image of divine love, where it's unconditional and always surprising me. And
3: um, she knows she loves her. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Mary. She does. You don't just you know you're a young man. This is what young men do. They don't call their mothers. That's but, how, <laughs> that's how you all guys are? He can. She can. She understands. She knows who you are. She knows she love her. So that's my consolation this week. Oh. Ashley, do you have one?
0: Zach, why did you make me go after you?
3: <laughs> That's a tough one to be.
0: Yeah, and I'm a desolation. I thought it'd be weird if we. Well, both why don't consul- you talk
3: about the desolation then? What's your okay. desolation?
0: Um I was. I was. We do a spiritual uh, uh, some formation with our director Eric beforehand, and he's like, "Are you sure you want to say this in front of a crowd of people?" And now I wish I had listened to him. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so my desolation this week uh, is. So I've had this like very busy winter and spring where I've been traveling like every single weekend, like been to Vegas and Chicago and Boston. And this last weekend, I was finally going to be home in New York and I was talking to our producer Eloise before the weekend. I was like, oh, I'm so looking forward to just like relaxing and doing nothing this weekend. And then when the weekend came around, I was like terrified of being alone in my apartment and I just got on a bus and went back to Virginia to see my family because I couldn't stand being alone here. Um and so like that that's fine. That's what I do. Uh the desolation part was then I like lied about it to Eloise and, and to Zach. They like asked me what I did last week and I was like, oh I just like read and caught up on stuff and it was really nice. <laughs> um
3: but did you feel better going home? That's my question.
0: I did. I, I really love being with my family.
3: Um I wish I could have said the same.
0: Yeah. Um so yeah, so yeah, that was certainly consoling, but the I guess the desolation is like this this embarrassment and shame about like not being able to talk to people that I know love me about my loneliness and not even able being able to talk to like God about it because just like I keep it back here and put on a front that everything's good.
3: I think loneliness in America is so hard to admit to, and there's so much of it, though, exactly because of the shame around it. And I think it's funny. When you said that, I was thinking about um, my own sense of loneliness, and I I feel very close to you. Like the consolation I'm feeling is right now looking at your beautiful (laughs) face, your little bird black eyes, and I think (laughs) that you gave me permission to feel my own loneliness, and that's... uh, I mean, genuinely, it's. I'm very moved by that, and um, so I, you know, I think you know, most of us are lonely most of the time, I think, and even you know, you can be in the middle of the best family in the world and have a terrible loneliness. You can be lonely in marriage. You can be lonely with your children. You know, so.
1: Yeah.
3: Mary, do you have a consolation or desolation? I think that was my consolation. I okay. think. Can yeah. um, I have a hug? <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> You can come live at my house on 83rd Street, and you know what? We'll just read, and we won't talk, and we'll call we'll call out for pizza, and then, like, we'll talk to Jesus a little while. Murder-suicide really guy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Go meet with the murder-suicide guy. What was great, though, was when I said to him, isn't there a door number three? He was, like, looking at the sky when I walked away. Wow.
0: Jesuitical is brought to you by America Media and produced by Eloise Blondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Jesuit formation provided by Eric Sundrup, SJ. Engineering and design by Angelou Jesus Canta. Adverbs provided by Eloise Blondio. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. It's super easy to do. Send us your questions, feedback, cocktail recipes, and tell us where you found God this week at Jesuitical at americamedia.org. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis. And one more thing, this show was made possible by the Catholic Travel Center. Proud partner with America Media to organize your organization's next pilgrimage, contact Catholic Travel Center at gocatholictravel.com. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis and Mary Carr. Thank you all for coming and see you next week.